All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live, you know it, from Guard Duty. That's right, I'm on Guard Duty right now in beautiful Judea, overlooking an interchange here, but I have a good view of the interchange and I can still record, so we're in good shape. If you, uh, you know, if there's a problem, I'll have to drop the, the phone and, and deal, with, uh, uh, deal with the situation, but in the meantime, all good. And I just wanted to wish you guys a happy Chodesh Tov, a happy new month. It's right now raining in the land of Israel, which is a blessing. And I'm thankful that my guard post is covered right now. Uh, and it's an honor and a pleasure to, to be with you from beautiful, rainy Judea on this new month. And yes, we've had uh, not a few losses of the most amazing young people who have been killed in battle in Gaza. And so we've had sacrifices, uh, uh, really offerings up to God of some of our finest uh, youth. Heartbreaking. Uh, and at the same time, at the same time, we have to celebrate this new month because I'm Israel Chai. Those souls will be reborn uh, and we continue our struggle and our fight for liberty and freedom in this good land. This show is going to be a lot of fun uh, because later today I'm leaving the army for the day to go MC a conference of the sovereignty movement. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, part of the conference I'm MCing and I'm going to be on a panel as well. And I hope to play that for you uh, later on in the show. So before we get to the, let's call it the realpolitik side of things, I wanted to talk about uh, Torah. The two things that I wanted to kind of talk about uh, in Torah that I didn't get a chance to talk about last week that I wanted to touch on today. Uh, the first one is that Moses uh, gets these signs from God and some of the signs are there in order to give him strength and to tell the Jewish people that yes, God will release the Jewish people from the bondage of Egypt. Now, one of those signs is a little bit mysterious. The, the sign is, take a cup of water. You hear the rain in the background there? He says, take, there's a rain in the background, there's a radio in the background, there's all kinds of background, but we're still here. So God says to, to Moses, he says, take this cup of water and spill it on the ground. When, it, when you spill on the ground, it'll become blood. What, what does that mean? What is the sign of that? What is that there to tell you? Water becomes blood. Well, obviously, it's a reference to the fact that the Nile is going to be turned to blood later on. But what does that mean? One excellent Hasidic interpretation is that you have to serve God with warm blood and not with cold water, right? You have to serve God in heat. I like that one a lot. Uh, but I have my own explanation, which is that the Nile washed away the blood of the children that were thrown into it. The murder. You know, nobody saw... You threw a child in, the, the crocodile ate it, and maybe a little bit of blood went into the water, and then it just kind of got washed away. So you may think that the God of Egypt, the Nile, will wash away their iniquities and their sins and their evil things. So God says, that very water that's so clear right now, that, that hid the crimes, it will all be seen. It'll all be laid, exposed, laying exposed to the world. They'll all see the damning crimes uh, of, of these people. There's a story right now out of Spain that I didn't see till recently, which is that there's a painting uh, that was looted by the Nazis and ended up in its long kind of travail, in its long road. The painting uh, by, I think, Velasquez went from, from one owner to another and finally ended up in a museum in Spain. And this Jewish family, literally the, the great-grandchildren of the woman who was taken from, 
have been suing Spain for so many years to return this painting, which is worth millions of dollars, to the family. Uh, and the Spanish government has been fighting hard in court and has won now in California to keep the painting uh, at their museum. And the question was a legal question, whether which law, uh, which law controlled it, which is Spanish law or was it California law. And you look at this thing and you say to yourself, how ugly is the Spanish government in this case? Instead of being like, oh yeah, well, you found out that the Nazis took this out of your hand? We're the first people to return this to you. We, the people of the Spanish uh, uh, expulsion and the Inquisition, we're going to right historical wrongs. We're not on the side of the damn Nazis, the cursed Nazis. This was taken from you? Here, take this painting back. Instead, they're like, no, 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 no. We got it fair and square, and we really want this painting in our museum. They prefer that this painting hang in their walls of a museum instead of doing historical justice and a kindness and a blessing to the Jewish people by returning this painting. Oh, my God. I mean, talk about, talk about indecent decisions, ridiculous leadership. Oh, my God. What an opportunity to, to look grand in the eyes of the Jewish people in the world by showing, no, we will not stand for Nazi aggression. We're a government. We're willing to, you know, here, take this painting, please. Here, your, here's honorary citizenship of Spain. I don't know what. And this reminds me back of this sign that, that, that Moses got, is that the, the iniquity will be exposed. The world will see who they are. Now uh, a son, a second son of uh, the Hamas leadership has come out exposing their corruption and indecencies. It's the same thing. Their ugliness is coming true. There's videos of little kids saying, we want out of Gaza. Uh, uh, there's uh, there's uh, videos of uh, Hamas operatives caught saying, like, Hamas has destroyed our lives. The, the iniquity of these people will be exposed. That's what I think that sign means. It means that justice will be served in the end. It will not be washed away in the clean, clear waters of the Nile. No, no, no. I will, I will expose the truth, says God. There will be a reckoning. And that to me is a very powerful thing. That to me is something that gives me a lot of hope because, because that means that, that God says, I see. I see the truth. And uh, that's, that's what I think we're about. We're really... Um, we're really exposing the tunnels, exposing the truths. Now, there's a lot of, I have a lot of uh, criticism of our own government, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. Right now, I'm talking about God's exposing the, the evil machinations of our enemies. And Spain, shame on you. Shame on you for preferring to have a painting on your walls in a museum instead of righting historical wrongs. Shame on you. What an opportunity is missed here. All right, uh, so now a second uh, uh, idea that I wanted to mention to you was something that uh, a little unpleasant event happened in my household, is that my uh, beloved daughter, Lea Batzion, was thrown from a horse. She is a horse rider, uh, a good one, uh, and talented, and for the first time in her life, she, got, she fell off the horse. And that's actually a good thing, because it's, because it's, good, it's good to... Um, experience that it's it's you know you got to also know how to take losses i always tell my kids that being a fighter also know means knowing how to take a hit as well 
And certainly being a, a horse rider or an athlete, you got to know how to go down and get back up again. That's, that's, that's what we say about, about righteous people is that they go down and get back up again. But she got hurt. Uh, she's, uh, she didn't break anything. And I took her to the doctor and all that. And, all, and we, you know, we did all that we need to do. But bottom line is she's having a hard time getting out of bed, getting into bed, and, and is in a lot of pain because she got, she got you know, a real muscle spasm in the back there. And, 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 and her back's messed up. You guys all know. Everybody that's ever had back pain knows. So uh, why am I mentioning this? I obviously, I appreciate any prayers for uh, Lea uh, Batzion Bat Malka. I appreciate that. But the reason I'm telling you this tale is because in the uh, Torah portion of Shemot, last week's Torah portion, there's a very enigmatic piece, very enigmatic piece. And I don't have the text right in front of me because I'm on my phone and I don't have a book and I'm on guard duty and I can't look at the text. But basically, there's a very enigmatic piece, which is that when Moses uh, goes down to Egypt, he's lodging, uh, 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 an angel of God comes to kill a son of Moses. There's a text there which is not clear why this happened, the, the, the rabbis struggle with it, the sages struggle, and they say basically since Moses did not circumcise his son, so therefore uh, he, he, you know, he had uh, not fulfilled God's will, and so Tsiporah, the wife of Moses, she does the, uh, the circumcision right there and then, saves the child from being killed. That's super enigmatic. Really, it's like, what? What's going on here? Moses is going to save the Jewish people on the way down. God is uh, almost killing his, his son. What's that about? Is it that he wasn't identifying himself with the Jewish people? Like, what's the deal? Um, but I read it differently, and only in the Hebrew text could you, the original Hebrew text, God's Hebrew text, can you, um, can you see it properly. But basically, the read is that God says to Moses, I told you to go down to Egypt and rescue my firstborn son, Israel. You refused and argued with me incessantly and rejected my call to you to rescue the Jewish people. You didn't jump at it, jump to it. And I had to negotiate, according to the sages, it was a seven-day negotiation. And so therefore, God says, I sense about you, Moses, that you don't understand the immediacy, the burning nature of the oppression that the Jewish people are feeling. They're being murdered down there. And when I ask you to go down and save my kids, you're like hemming and hawing, and for good reason, and you're very, you have humility, but you know what? Right now is not a time for humility. And I feel about you, Moses, God says, that you're lacking in empathy. You don't feel the pain of the Jewish people. You don't feel it enough. It's not burning inside of you. And therefore, let me kill your firstborn son so you understand what it is to lose a firstborn son. Let me show you what it is to lose a child. And if you understood that pain, you would jump to it. Uh, and uh, the angel of God almost kills his firstborn son, according to my interpretation. Uh, and Sipara saves the day and she takes blood and, sacri- and, and, and does the, 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 the kind of you know, surgery right there of, of the of the circumcision that averts the death, but the message is clear. And why am I saying this to you? Because when my daughter got hurt, uh, I I didn't think I needed even more empathy for the fallen uh, Jewish soldiers and what the families must be feeling of the loss of their beloved ones. But it sure makes it a little bit clearer to you. Even when your daughter is a little bit hurt in her back, you know, hurt, 
you know, you're like, wow, what you wouldn't do to, to protect your child and what we shouldn't do to fight for the safety and the security and the victory of our, of our young soldiers and our people. And I must say to the Israeli government that prior to the October 7th massacre, 35 Jews were murdered just this year. Just this year, 35 Jews were murdered. Uh, before October 7th. And had we responded properly and with full measure then, and had we cared enough, we would have probably averted October 7th. We need to have that kind of passion that we have right now to fight for October 7th for every single Jew whose hair is touched. We must not allow, we should have zero tolerance for that. Okay, so those are two uh, Torah thoughts that I had for you uh, this week about the uh, blood of the Nile, not cleansing the sins, the iniquities of our enemies, but showing them for what they are, and that we must have empathy for the loss of our brothers and sisters. Um, Okay, so today I'm going to uh, a conference put on by the Sovereignty Movement, and it's really talking about the vision forward. And so I want to play for you a segment from that conference uh, to give you a sense of what we're talking about, uh, about how to think about the Jewish future. And you're going to hear some great folks, uh, thinkers, uh, who are uh, working hard to make our future better and stronger uh, and use October 7th as a moment that wakes us up. So here is some clip from a session at the Sovereignty Conference in Jerusalem. Shalom, good evening, Chodesh Tov. Welcome to all of you and to all of our viewers live on Arutsheva in Hebrew and in English. Shalom. On April 30, 1956, Roy Rottenberg, a youth who went from Tel Aviv to build his home at the gates of Gaza, was murdered by Arabs. At his funeral, then Chief of Staff Moshe Dayan said the following, Yesterday morning, Roy was murdered. The quiet of a spring morning blinded him, and he did not see those lying in ambush. How did we avert our eyes from taking a hard look at our fate, to see our generation's destiny in all its cruelty? Have we forgotten that this group of Jewish youth residing in Nachal Oz bears on its shoulders the heavy gates of Gaza, gates behind which tens of thousands of eyes and hands are crowded, praying for our weakness to come so they can tear us to pieces? Have we forgotten this? We know that in order for the hope to annihilate us, to dissipate, we must be vigilant and prepared day and night. The longing for peace deafened his ears and our ears, end of quote. Early in the morning of Simchat Torah 2023, three months ago, more than 1,300 Jews were murdered in the Gaza periphery and more than 250 were kidnapped. The preconceptions collapsed then in 1956. Later, they collapsed in the Yom Kippur War with the same Moshe Dayan and now collapsed on this past Simchat Torah when the Arab enemy dragged our dignity naked through the streets of Gaza trampled on our security, crushed our intelligence, crushed our technology, crushed all preconceptions. Will we finally draw conclusions this time and no longer continue to stumble? How did one believe the statement that the settlements are the problem when the truth is that all of Israel is one large settlement from Elat to Metula, from Be'eri to Manara? How did one believe the assertion in the Oslo Accords that the Fatah is moderate and only Hamas and the Islamic Jihad are the extremists? 
when we see that 82% in the Palestinian Authority overwhelmingly support the Simchat Torah massacre? How did one believe that the Gazan population is innocent, that they are victims of Hamas, when we saw them joining en masse on crutches and bicycles to murder, burn, and behead our brothers and sisters? How did one believe that peace can be purchased with money and that security can be ensured without Israeli presence and complete control on the ground? How did one believe that we could create a small, smart army and rely on technology, smart fences, and bring in Arab Palestinian laborers, and that would bring peace and calm, and we would continue to abide more and more rockets? What we see from Gaza and the Gaza periphery is the same in Judea and Samaria, simply copy-paste. And at the peak of our weakness and our pain, aggressive pressure is beginning from the United States together with Europe and the UN, who are seeking to impose the two-state solution to try and continue to strip Israel of our most important assets from our God-given biblical heartland, from the strategic depth, from our history and identity. President Biden, Joseph Borrell, the foreign ministers of 27 countries who toured the region in the South, witnessed the destruction and devastation, heard the hard testimonies, smelled the stench of the burning of our fellow Jews by Arabs. And what is their conclusion? Israel must not occupy Gaza. The Palestinian Authority must assume control of Gaza. In other words, our sons, the soldiers, are supposed to fight in order to give over Gaza to another bunch of terrorists. Joining them is Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister who preaches Gaza is Palestine. Declaring a Palestinian state is another inevitable step. Just yesterday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken told our prime minister, Saudi Arabia will normalize relations only if Israel accepts the two-state solution. Three years ago, we gave up sovereignty in exchange for relations with the Emirates. Will we give up the land of our ancestors, the cradle of our history, in order to normalize relations with Saudi Arabia, which will arm itself with the most modern weapons and in time will turn the tide against us? Will we be blinded again? Against all this, our sovereignty movement already mobilized at the very beginning of the war. We launched a campaign, not Hamas, not Abbas, not Dahlan, not Barghouti, not the United Nations, nor any other international entity will govern Gaza. Only Israeli military and civilian control. <laughs> Voluntar <laughs> Voluntary immigration of the Arabs and Jewish settlement and sovereignty will maintain stability and security and will bring victory. Prime Minister Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu addressed this issue and he said, quote, I will not allow repetition of the Oslo mistake. The dispute between Hamas and Fatah is not whether to destroy the state of Israel, but how. Until now, says Prime Minister Netanyahu, said, senior Palestinian Authority officials have refused to condemn the massacre and some even exalt it. As Prime Minister of Israel, I will not allow it to happen. The Palestinian Authority will not rule over Gaza after the war. There will be no body in Gaza that will educate for terrorism, and there will be Israeli security control. Mr. Prime Minister, this is not enough. What about civilian control? 
security control without Israeli citizens, without Jewish settlement, without Israeli sovereignty, will blow away like chaff in the wind. Will the Prime Minister succeed in withstanding the tremendous domestic and foreign pressure that is being exerted on him? We saw that in the matter of fuel and humanitarian aid, he and the government are unable to withstand international pressure. The establishment of a Palestinian state, God forbid, is an experiment that we all know how it will end. Kfar Saba will be transformed into Kfar Aza. Tel Aviv and Kaplan will become Nir Oz and Nir Am. Therefore, we are here at this conference to exert counter-pressure, to enlist public opinion, to provide support for the Prime Minister and the members of the government to stand firm, not to capitulate and to say loud and clear, Gaza is part of the land of Israel. No... No to foreign rule over Gaza, neither by the old Palestinian Authority nor by a renewed Palestinian Authority. No to a Palestinian state in Judea, Samaria, and the Jordan Valley. The entire land of Israel is ours. And by the way, just before the Hebrew conference started, we developed a, an incredible poll that uh, uh, proves that what I just said is, be, is the opinion of the overwhelming majority of uh, uh, the people here in Israel. We must create a deep national consciousness based on the righteousness of our path, create sovereignty awareness, invest in security and settlement action with open eyes and a hand on the helm. The war is about the entire Israel, not only about Gaza. The country's borders must be strengthened and sovereignty must be applied to the Jordan Valley first as soon as possible. Can we stand up to the whole world? Yes. If we cause, if we cause the world to look at us, to look to us, to our vision, to our destiny, yes. If we don't copy and follow the postmodern world that destroys the, val the values of morality, truth, and justice, we can. There is a light that is now emerging. There is a light that is now emerging in this war. There is a light that is now emerging in this war. The people of Israel who rose up like lions, the soldiers in Gaza and the north, their supportive families, the soldier spirit, the battalion commanders, the brigade commanders, they fill us with optimism. In Gaza, the consciousness of sovereignty has been revealed in a powerful way. To hear the roars of joy from the soldiers entering the water on the Gaza beach, lifting handfuls of sand and shouting, it is ours, the Shalano. To see the soldiers fervently singing the national anthem on the Gaza beach, brandishing Israeli flags everywhere, bringing in Torah scrolls, holding weddings in assembly areas, kindling Hanukkah candles, affixing mezuzot. This spirit, God willing, will prevail. This spirit will withstand any progressive attitude. This spirit must now be channeled into political and practical realms. Today we will hear the best speakers, thinkers, scholars, and security personnel who will explain why a Palestinian state must never be. We must return to classic Zionist values, security, settlement, sovereignty, aliyah. Thank you to the Yesha Council and its head Shlomo Neiman for their partnership in this conference. Thank you to all of the speakers. Once again, thank you to all of you and to all of you who view us in Israel and abroad on Arucheva. Thank you to the Vatkin Production Company. Thank you to Arucheva Israel National News. And especially, thank you, Hashem, for blessing us. 
And now a wonderful surprise. Minister Gila Gamliel, Minister of Intelligence, is, Intelligence is with us. One of the longtime supporters of sovereignty over all of Judea and Samaria. Yes, clap hands. And who came out first with a plan for the day after the Gaza war. Already on October 13, Minister Gila Gamliel came out with a policy paper, an alternative to a political directive for the civilian population in Gaza. We can't wait to hear about you. Thank you for coming and for everything you do. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, for 30 years, we tried old and failed solutions for all problems. Now is the time that we must try new solutions. It is clear that much has to change as any conceptions were proven wrong on the day of the pogrom on October 7th. We must control all of the territory in the land of Israel. And especially keep safe our eternal and indivisible capital, Jerusalem. Every time Israel retreated from territory, it became a base for terror and bloodshed. The, the fingerprints of Iran can be found on every conflict now underway in the Middle East, from Gaza to Lebanon to the Red Sea. The Iranian regime is the head of the global jihadi octopus. Its various tentacles have contributed to the killing and misery of tens of millions of people. They do not just want to say, they do not just want to see the end of the national homeland of the Jewish people in our ancestral and indigenous country. They seek to make everyone around, around Israel suffer. It is also clear that Iran wanted to prevent a peace agreement between Israel and Saudi Arabia, but in the end, they will not succeed. Today, we are witnessing an absurd situation whereby Israel is excused to genocide while trying to defend ourselves from the threat of genocide. If anyone should be charged at the ICJ with genocide, it is the Islamic Republic of Iran. Their leaders cause for that to Israel and to wipe Israel off the map on a daily basis. This is incitement to genocide. The true genocide that was carried out was the deliberate genocide by Iran's proxy Hamas on October 7th against the state of, of Israel with the brutal murders, rapes, and beheadings of men, women, and children 
any fair-minded person must agree. Gaza has long been thought of as a problem without an answer. The greatest failure was the disengagement from Gaza. I was against the terrible solution and voted against it. The State of Israel has also tried many different solutions, enrichment, conflict management, and building high walls in the hope of keeping the monsters of Hamas out of Israel. These have all failed. One of the issues on which my office has been working diligently is how to proceed the day after Hamas has been defeated and inhiliated. We will still have around two million people in Gaza, many of whom voted for Hamas and celebrated the massacre of innocent men, women, and children. Gaza is breeding ground for extremism. It is a small area, by no means the most populated on earth, but one where for too long its rulers have prioritized war against the Jews over a better life for the people. It is a place devoid of hope stolen by the genocidal terrorists of Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and other terrorist groups. An article in a British Guardian laid out the desperation of many Gazans to leave the strip. Many Gazans were interviewed who said that they have to pay up to $10,000 brokers as bribes to leave the strip. These people are desperate. And the international community, which claims to care about the Palestinians, sit by idly and watch. This is an opportunity for those who say they support the Palestinian people to show this are not just empty words. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees the global UN body that deals with refugees is mandated by its statute and the UN General Assembly resolutions to undertake resettlement as one of its three durable solutions. Unfortunately, however, for the last 75 years, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, a refugee body, that privileges Palestinians over every other refugee population has done zero to help the Palestinian people, even though it has an annual budget of well over $1 billion. Instead of funneling money to rebuild Gaza or to the failed UNRWA, the international community can assist in the cost of a humanitarian voluntary resettlement, helping the people of Gaza build new lives in their new host countries.
I will make it simple by stating it in three simple words. Open the door. I say to, in the, to the international community, no one is pushing or forcing anybody out, but surely you can't be indifferent to their suffering. Just open the door and let those that wish it to join the hundreds of thousands of Gazans who have already left voluntary in the last few years. It can be a win for those civilians of Gaza who seek a better life. It is on obligation of leadership to propose solutions and not just circle back to the same tired ideas and cliches. As I look out, I see many friends and good people who have been battling for these ideas for many years and have been ignored for too long. This is the time. This is our time to speak. Today, our words will be heated, so we must say them from every platform and stage. And I will continue to push them in the security cabinet. That is my role. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister Gila Gamliel. That was fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for coming to the Sovereignty Conference in English, uh, reaching out to the world. Before I go on, I want to thank Nadia Matar and Yehudit Katsover of the Sovereignty Movement. You know, you know Yehudit and Nadia are land activists. Uh, they are political activists, <clears throat> but they are also teachers. And one of the things that they've brought out is a simple word, sovereignty. They brought it out into the world. Beforehand, we didn't know exactly how to say the whole thing that we mean in one word. They were like, sovereignty. That's the word. Push it out. They called the movement that. And everybody, it's on everybody's lips. Sovereignty. So thank you very much for teaching us uh, that simple word that encompasses all that we mean. Uh, and thank you for this conference. Uh, folks, uh, 1,200 people murdered. 150 still abducted. Uh, many soldiers killed and wounded. Um, Israel's strategic situation is not simple with dangers from Gaza, Lebanon, Iraq, Yemen, Iran, American campus, and even at The Hague. We face a lot of challenges. Uh, Israel's democracy was, till very recently, on very shaky ground with a lot of uh, divided polity. But this war has brought us together. I want to show you something that, Yehudi, uh, that Nadia mentioned for a second, and that is that the Ribonut movement... Uh, commissioned recently, just yesterday came out, a poll of Israeli public opinion, asking them simple things. Do you want a Palestinian state in Judea and Samaria? 74%? No. Israelis? No. Do you want to see um, uh, uh, Israel to help voluntary emigration, voluntary resettlement of Gazans? 76%? Yes. These are numbers of public opinion. Things are changing. Israel's, we had a division not so long ago, now we're having some unity through this war. Indeed, right now, clarity is needed and a vision of victory is required. All, this, all the problems that we've faced really come from the failed idea of the two-state solution 
uh, all the way back to the uh, UN partition plan. The madness of land giveaway. When I speak to Arabs in Hebron, they tell me all the time one thing. They say, look, Ishai, you guys have left Gaza. You left Sinai. You left South Lebanon. You left Judea and Samaria. You're shrinking. You're shrinking. And with time, we will see you gone totally. Like we saw the Crusaders gone, you will be gone as well. That is what the Arabs say. That is what they think. And that is all fruit of the two-state solution idea. We feed right into that when we tell them, yeah, we're leaving. They're like, you're going to leave partially, then you're going to leave all the way. Now is the time to challenge those old conceptions. That's what today is all about. And before I uh, start out the panel, I just want to finish with uh, one important message. And that is, today's conference is not a mere intellectual pursuit. We owe it to the fallen to make their death not be meaningless. We owe them. We owe all those people that at least we could say, yes, you were murdered. Yes, you were killed. But because of that, we woke up and we changed course. So therefore, we're going to take these discussions with utmost seriousness and pray that God, Hashem, inspires us with his vision for Israel. You know what? I was going to ask you to rise for Eitan. Eitan uh, is a hero. And uh, we're, we, we demand that it comes back home. We pray to God and we ask our army and our, and our country for strength uh, to fight for him. Thank you, Rabbi Tzvi Kamor. That was very, very moving. Um, thank you again. Okay, uh, we have uh, one final panel. And right afterwards, I want, you to, I want to ask you to stay for the singing of Hatikva with our soldiers. You'll understand what I mean when we get there. Right now, our last panel is No to a Palestinian State. Yes to sovereignty. All right. We have with us a very special guest from the United States, Josh Hammer, senior editor at uh, editor at large at Newsweek and host of the Josh Hammer Show. Go ahead, Josh. Uh, we have with us a wonderful Knesset member, Ohad Tal, uh, who's a Knesset member from the Religious Zionist Party, born in Eilat. That's pretty cool. And served as director of World Bnei Akiva, vice president of the World Mizrahi Movement, a shaliach in the Netherlands. So I guess he knows The Hague and all that. Jeremy Kimpel is the co-founder of the Land of Israel Network, which features podcasts and live seminars, and is the, one of the co-founders of the Arugot Farm, one of the most beautiful places in Judea, organic farm and retreat center in the hills of Judea. And last chair is, uh, save for uh, myself, Ishai Fleischer, the spokesman of the Jewish community of Hebron. Thank you very much. My, and of course, yeah, that's right. We need one more chair. Sorry, just joking. You take my chair. There you go. Drawer. That's right, you got crossed out by mistake because you weren't here. Now you're back. Dror Adar, literary and cultural researcher, served as Israel's ambassador to Italy, taught at Betzalel, published books on Hebrew poetry. Thank you very much, Dror. Not to forget you, God forbid. Uh, and yes, finally, uh, last year is for me. What an honor to be here. Thank you so much to Nadia and Yehudit, not only for the very gracious invitation, but for all the work that you do on behalf of our people, on behalf of national sovereignty, on behalf of the Jewish peoples. Uh, God-given right to all of Eretz Israel. So really, truly thank you. And this is just a wonderful conference. I'm really honored to be a part of it. So I, I, let me just tee up our first question here um, with a little bit of a personal anecdote. So I got married a few weeks ago to a very Israeli woman. I was going to say that you just got married, Josh. Mazal tov to you. And thank you for I wanted to be there, but didn't get a chance to. 
Well, you give a very nice gift, so thank you, so thank you for that. Anyway, um, I, she's, uh, she's very right-wing, of course, and very supportive of my being here. And I think partially because of the personal element here, um, immediately after the 7th of October, my, my grandfather, who's a very smart man, but he is a center-left man, I guess would be a polite way of saying it, called me and he said, Josh, I just have a few things to say. Go, Israel, go. You know, if he, if he had stopped there, it would have been great. But then a few minutes later in the conversation, he said, oh, but I still believe in a two-state solution. And you can imagine how I reacted to that. It wasn't so kind. And I, I say all that as kind of context because for a lot of the so-called international community, for Americans, Europeans, for many others, those two thoughts are not necessarily mutually exclusive. People think that they can simultaneously hold those two thoughts. But here in Israel, we see the public polling. We know that the so-called two-state solution is favored by under 10% of the population. It should be 0%, obviously. And I guess my question for the whole panel, Ishai, we'll, we'll start with you and then just go down. How do we change that? How do we close that gap between what Israelis know is correct, the people in this room, of course, very much included, and what the so-called international community thinks about the final solution to the conflict? Basically, you're asking, how do we change minds? The problem in Israel is we've been educated by the media. I saw, I saw a Knesset member in, in uh, one of the media uh, panels, and the media was attacking him from this government, attacking him. What have you done? And have you allowed all this? And, and he gave some kind of answer. I, I thought to myself, he should have been like, what have you done? What have you taught our people? You're the, you're the culprit around here. I wish he would have said that to the media. Uh, but look, we've been untaught a Jewish uh, sovereignty, we've been untaught Jewish strength, uh, uh, we've been untaught Bible. Bible is very badly taught here. You ask young people in Israel, uh, what's their least favorite class? It's Bible, uh, because it's been, it's been taught by the left uh, in a way that makes you kind of just hate the Bible, hate those stories. So the word Hebron, where I work, just the word itself is a negative word. Just the word itself is like an icky word. It doesn't conjure up Abraham uh, bought property there, King David was king there. It conjures up, you know, fanatical and Hamas and, and, and just a bad place. And so we've been untaught a lot of the simple values that make up a narrative that gives you strength. And, and I, I want to use this opportunity to say that uh, this conference is about sovereignty and about good steps moving forward. I think that if we would focus even on stopping to do stupid things, we'd be in, a, in great shape here in Israel. Just a little list, okay? Uh, don't allow enemies to build up bases and tunnels right in front of your eyes. That's dumb. Stop paying money to the PA. They pay terrorists. Paying the money is dumb. Um, stop allowing the UN to teach jihadism and refugeeism to Arabs. You allow them to do that in your land. You create enemies. Um, uh, stop feeding your enemy when you're at war with them. That's dumb. Um, don't, send, don't send money to Hamas through Qatar. That's dumb. Um, don't, check this one out. Don't allow the sale of maps, like on a cup and on a keychain, in the old city of, of, of Jerusalem that have the map of Israel but say the word Palestine on them. Don't do that. Don't allow that to happen. That's a bad idea. You're teaching. You're allowing them to unteach uh, Zionism and, and, and Israel. Don't treat prisoners too nicely. Don't uh, uphold the laws of the jihad on the Temple Mount. Allow us to pray there freely. These are simple things that we have to do. Now, if we stop doing these dumb things, 
then the Jewish people will start to get out of ghettoism, fearism, uh, fear of the international community, start to get healthy again, and we'll get back on track, Bezrat Hashem. So, of course, I agree with each, each and every word you just said, and I think that we have to, one of our missions is to wake up, just simply to wake up, to look to the reality in the eyes. And I'm saying, you know, it didn't start on October 7th. 30 years ago, when the Oslo Accords were signed, I think, and, 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 and uh, Ambassador Adar, you, you will correct me if I'm telling the story wrong, but I think Chairman Arafat went to South Africa, I think the week, the week after he signed this contract, this, uh, in 94, and he was criticized, how could you sign the deal with the Jews? How could you do that? And he told them, remember Hudaybiyah, which basically means, you, I think, I'm sure you know the story, is the, the treaty that, that uh, Muhammad uh, signed with the Quraysh tribe, basically a, a priest treaty, which the meaning of it was, I will just come and slaughter you the day after. Nothing has changed. And October 7th, show us the reality. Even for those who were skeptical, even though I, mean, no, I know I've, I've been just this week, I've been to Kfar Aza. I saw the burned houses. So many of them had flags with Shalom Achshav. Those are the people who believed in peace the most, advocating for peace the most, and were slaughtered by those, the same people they took to hospitals in Israel. They were slaughtered by them the day after. So we just need to wake up, not to be afraid to look at the reality and not keep doing dumb stuff like we are still doing, unfortunately. I think that uh, after I divide, I divide now time to, you know, we say before I said here I can say before Christ and before I don't know what, but before the sixth, before the seventh of October, it's the old uh, count. And since October seventh, we started another era. It's very easy now to explain. Before redeeming the people from Egypt, the first thing that Moshe Moses did was to wake up the public consciousness. It means to tell them, first of all, it's not natural for you to be slave. So before sovereignty, I said that, I say today in Hebrew, before sovereignty of the land, we need the sovereignty of the spirit. It means, it means that we have to work to explain, to convince, especially the young generation that was not contaminated by the indoctrination of tenth of tenth of, of decades of years here that persuaded us that there is another part is negotiable, negotiable. And so 
we just today we have to tell them i mean this and i do it i do it everywhere look what happened when we have two experiments we 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 did two political and military experiments that costed us blood one was in gaza street we left everything we took even with us our tombs our graves the consequence was october 7 while we conquered reconquered uh, in uh, 2002 uh, samaria and judea and uh, <clears throat> and not not only conquered we have there more than half million uh, jews which which give the soldiers in the area the reason why they are there so today i am telling all my friends in israel and abroad that <clears throat> the reason that we did not receive october 7th in kfasaba god forbid was because of these brave pioneers that live on the mountains there so it's very easy to explain them the meaning of a jewish sovereignty there i live in rehovot rehovot is about 50 or 70 meters above the level the sea level direct from my porch i see directly 15 kilometers modi'in and from modi'in directly 20 kilometers more i see i don't see in 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 eyes but i see i see the mountains of benyamin and directly is ramala ramala is 900 meters above the level sea so i tell everyone even the parliament italian parliament and european parliament and friends here in israel suppose you have to defend your home from a, a citadel i don't know from a tower which is high 900 meters this is the relation between a, 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 the meaning of a palestinian a, a, a state which is a, not only suicidal it's, it's as you say it's dumb it's stupid but more than that we learned i told the also the the italian we learned the lesson most of the people here in israel are convinced even in the left they understand also rabin they didn't want to give them a full independent they wanted to give them something like this something like other but now we understand that uh, uh, this was something uh, beyond the capability of the culture that we deal with because we understand now that this entity and you can call it whatever you want wasn't interested in the welfare of its people but interested in destruction of our people our state our communities so it's very easy today to explain the young generation 
we have in Hebrew, Hebrew. It's not Hebrew, it's almost, I think, Russian. Friar. We don't want to be friar anymore. I'm sorry, I must stop you for one second. Just, I met a soldier this week who was in Gaza for three months. Left, he finished and he went back home this, uh, this week and he told me that they realized, him and his friends, that they hate us more than they love their children. This is what they realized for the first time this week. So to, to answer the question, um, just days ago, I went down to the south to visit the kibbutzim, to visit the site of the music festival, to see reality with my own eyes, not just on a screen. And you walk around, and could you just put the image here? The image that Ohad talked about, there's a picture of it. And the question has to arise. How could we be so wrong? So wrong. The political establishment was wrong. The military establishment was wrong. The Shabak, the Mossad, all of the Modi'in, everyone wasn't just wrong. It's like peace now, flying flags to the people that killed them. How could we be so wrong? So the first thing, people need to go and visit the South as soon as possible. It should be like a march of the living for the Jews in Israel. Never again in Auschwitz is an important message for the people in Europe and maybe even in America, but never again here is far more urgent, far more relevant. But that begs to ask the question, how did we get it so wrong? And I think the answer is, and you can really see it also in the conference, 75 years, the only thing that matters has been absent. Um, it's the littlest word, but it means everything. For 75 years, Israel has been dedicated to building a godless state with peace now. God is absent. And without God, there will never be peace, not now and not ever. Did we really think... Did our leaders really think, a Palestinian state, that we were going to make a move that is in total contradiction to the Torah after the Jewish people have returned to this land after 2,000 years and we were going to be successful? Did we really think that we would do something that's in total denial of the vision that the prophets gave us that's absolutely in contradiction with the commands of the Torah and we were somehow going to bear fruit of success and prosper with such a move? Obviously not. It was the opposite of the truth. It's the exact wrong. Why? Because the fundamental paradigm that the, that the modern state of Israel sees the world through is warped. They're constantly worried about peace now. We don't want peace now. We want peace forever. Can we just show that sign, please? And that will only happen when we have enough faith to stand alone against the nations, to do what's right, what's moral, and what's true, to stand alone because we stand with God. Until we bring God into this conversation, we will never be successful. Well, that's a tough statement to follow. It, it, it obviously is true. First of all, I, I want to just emphasize what both Jeremy and Ohad said about the importance of everyone here who has not been south to do that. So I've been here for the past week 
As part of a delegation, I see some of my cohorts standing there in the back. We, we were down there on Tuesday. We were in Ofakim, Starot, Kafar, Aza, Raim. We saw it. We saw those same images, and uh, if you have not been there, I would just strongly encourage everyone to go because it, you really have to see it just to viscerally shock the conscience into it there. But I, I want to, in, in our limited time, shift back to Judea and Samaria, actually, um, which I think is kind of the more interesting long-term strategic question. So if under 10% of Israelis actually favor a, a Palestinian state, which you know uh, presumptively means that a very large percentage favor applying today, increase... Today? Today, the polls show that what I've seen recently, it, under 10%, like a shockingly low percentage of rates make, right? So if that is true, then presumably, um, presumably many Israelis want to apply sovereignty to more areas in Judea and Samaria than the current government has permitted. And, you know, the, the international media says this is the most right-wing government in, in Israeli history, which then raises the obvious question of why. You know, as the Americans speaking to four Israelis, why, do you, why should Israel feel so blocked from a terrible United States administration, why should it feel so blocked from the absolute moral idiots in Turtle Bay at the United Nations, in Brussels, at the EU? You know, just go ahead and, and do your thing. And, um, right, so, um, so, you know, in our limited time remaining, maybe let's keep the answers to one minute each if we can. Why not? Uh, first thing, I just want to make a comment on what Jeremy said. He talked a lot about God. But it happens to be that it's also common sense, you know, and, and that's, what, that's what the sages say, meaning to say, if you don't have Torah, sometimes you lose your common sense. You do a lot of, as I was saying before, like stupid things that don't make sense that anybody would tell you. Uh, I, I, me and a Kurdish, uh, Kurdistan uh, fighter understand this, the region in the same way. You've got to defend your homeland. You're an ethnic armed, ethnic minority. You can't let the other tribes take over your land. It's simple. It's Pashut. It's Pshita. It's not so complicated. You, you need God to, to, you know, because that's what this world's about. But on the, on the simple level, like, return to being simple, I think that's the answer to your question, which is, which is that some reason we have become enamored with a lack of simplicity. We just, we just don't want to do things simply. There's just like all these professors and all these people working at the UN and there's all these peace people and they just, there's a lot of money involved. And so they don't want to come to simple conclusions. Really smart people reject simple conclusions because they become obsolete if, if it's a simple person can get the answer. Okay, so that, that's a problem. Uh, and here in Israel, the average uh, a falafel maker is, is an, it could be an excellent prime minister because he knows the simple truth about how you got to be with the bad guys and how you've got to be with your land. So I'll finish by saying there's a Breslov statement that, that's popular in Israel. They say, lo pashut, liot pashut. It's not simple to be simple. Let's get back to simplicity and we'll get back to health. It's not easy to be with, in a panel which you agree all the time with everyone. Uh, you know, I'm new in politics. I'm in politics only a year. I dedicated the last 20 years of my life for Jewish education. And I'm always telling that, and I'm saying that for many years, that the biggest challenge our generation has today, you know what it is? Identity, in one word. Identity. We have to wake up and understand who we are, why we are here, and what does it mean to have a Jewish state after 2,000 years? And it's a challenge. It's a challenge. As you said, it shouldn't be because it's so simple, but it's a challenge. I mean, when they, how, how are we calling this war? 
חרבות ברזל, why God is not in the front until now, okay? So in a few words, but if you want, you can find my, my essays. I wrote, I don't know, more than uh, 1,500 uh, around the Internet, so you can, you can read it. I'm dealing about more than 20 years with psychohistory. So <clears throat> the moment that the Jewish people entered history re-entered history after about 1,700 years of, 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 of national dormant, dormant, Shina? dormancy, um, uh, was with what's a good, a, 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 a other Jew called it patricide. It means that in one moment, the elite, the Jewish elite, that in regular eras or, or terms or, or epochs, it continued the rabbinical leadership, looked around, saw that all the nations around them, especially in Europe, are living in peace, while they were doomed to humiliation, to um, economical, uh, very, very bad economical conditions and, and political uh, conditions and everything that you know, pogroms. So their conclusion was that the reason for it was father. The father that stood for many years uh, 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 at the head of this family, which called Jewish nation, which means God. What we did, what the elite, Jewish elite did in the late 18th century and during the 19th century was what Margaret Muller told, separation individuation. In order to crystallize our nationalhood, nationhood, we needed to cut the embryo cord? Umbilical cord. Umbilical, umbilical. And to cut the uh, connection with the religious institute. Which means that for a moment, because 100 years or more, 200 years is a moment for us as a, a, a very old a, a people, a, we, we did an experiment. We, the experiment. The experiment was that in order to build our 
national entity after many years that uh, we, we were, let's say, in a coma from national point of view, only the religious part worked and, and, and uh, kept us alive. We rebelled. We uh, um, put aside this father and said, from now, from now on, we can uh, manage alone. And it succeeded because we succeeded to enter first. We entered history. Then, after a hundred years, we established the uh, Zionist movement. And then, 200 years plus minus after that, we uh, succeeded to uh, uh, come back home and establish our third kingdom. The thing is that some of the kids of this, think about a family that some of the children think, think about their father as an abuser. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, and they are afraid of his coming back, and all of a sudden they heard that he really, he was released and he is coming back home. How would you feel? Listen to me. The Israeli elite is afraid, is afraid of this coming back of this father because they identify this specific realm, specific identity of this God, not our God, but what they understand, with denying freedom, freedom of expression, with forcing our life, with lunatic, I don't know, with mythos, mythology, instead of considering a, a, a rational decisions in politics, etc., etc. Our goal is not to push it, not to force it, to be with compassion, to be patient. Because if you really believe in God, let him coming back easy in his way while we have to do our mission here to reinforce our people not to tell them all the time oh you're not good oh you're not observing observers oh you're not uh, enlightened you're not democratic we learn from our prophets there is no even one prophet in our Bible that is only prophet that has only prophecy of doom. Every every uh, 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 Hebrew prophet had also a prophecy of redemption. It means that the work of the intellectuals here in Israel 
is to be with compassion, to encourage the people, to be patient, to tell them, we believe in you. No one like his father when he tells him all the time, oh, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. At the end, we will believe that we are bad. No, you're not bad. We believe in you. We know that you are afraid. Okay, so easy, easy. Look what we have now. We have now, we don't have sovereignty. It's, it's true in Judea and Samaria. But after so many years, with all their lunatic uh, plans, we're still there. And not we're still there. We're growing and we're growing. So be patient. If not today, you know, I was ambassador in, in Rome. I stood many times under the Ark of Titus. My, my daughters came to visit me. I told them, three daughters, thanks God. My daughters, come, stand with me under this ark. Look, you see the, um, um, the, vessel of the, the vessel of the temple? These are the symbols of our lost independence. Independence. And look in the other side. It's Titus on a chariot in his march of victory and triumph. What? Look how he's very joyful. He's happy. He won. But today, my, 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 my daughters, what remains from Titus? Only this, uh, this uh, portrait. While your father... Means we, your father is the representatives of the captives of Zion. So from now on, I told them, every, every day of your life, when you will hear the phrase, Am Yisrael Chai, thinks Bedidi Avaovda. You saw it in your eyes. Your father was the representative of Am Yisrael Chai. So if we have patience, and if we have a belief, and if we understand that we are a very old nation, that for us 100 years is in Italian virgola, sick. So what is 50 years, another 50 years? At the end, we will receive everything. Let's wrap this up. Okay. So, yeah, take, it, it take us home and keep it short. Yeah. I'm going to keep it really short. I just want to point out an interesting phenomenon in Israeli society right now. If anyone suggests anything that's beyond the conventional wisdom or anything beyond the myopic vision of the Israeli establishment, immediately he's labeled as a delusional messianic. That's what he's called now. The new curse word in Israel is, oh, atam meshichi. You are, you're just delusional. And I feel like that's really interesting that that's happening now. Like, oh, this really wasn't about um, the judicial reform or legal activism or even a Palestinian state. Like, it's finally rising up to the surface, the actual complication here in the state of Israel. Because the founding fathers of the modern state of Israel, they just wanted a night shelter. They wanted a safe haven for the Jews. And all of a sudden comes October 7th, and we realize the foundations of the greatest Jewish enterprise in 2,000 years was built on a false foundation. But what is a foundation that can actually hold the light that we're receiving now? What is that foundation? It's the dream that our fathers had and that our ancestors had. And we're saying, oh, we haven't given up on that dream. 
We're not saying it's not enough to just have peace now. No, Israel can be the safest country in the world, the most prosperous country in the world. This can be an amazing country. I'm not giving up on that dream. And if giving up on that dream is calling me a delusional messianic, then we should be honored to be guilty of that charge. I want to say only that Ben-Gurion was also a messianic. He said it. And Ben-Gurion spoke about Geulat Israel, the redemption of Israel. So I, I'm not really, really agree with you about the foundation of this state. It is what Rav Kook said, that there is Bechira, the choice, and the Sgula. It means that hidden in this state, in its foundation, was also this old belief. It is not as, as other, some, some people say that, you know, we built a false building on, on, on a false route. No, we built it on a right route, but uh, we have to be patient to let this route to be exposed in a long journey, a long process. So Excellent. be patient. So what I'm saying is something totally opposite. I'm saying we need to go down to the root and reset. And what I'm saying is a new vision for Israel. That's not just a night shelter. You're extremist what, yeah, messianic. No, what I'm saying is something just like say, this. redemption. Well, what is Be'emunah? What does that really mean? It means that October 7th didn't happen to us. It happened for us to wake us up, to guide us to the right path, that we should not continue on this boat that's literally on its way to the edge of Niagara Falls and maybe establishing a Palestinian state. It's like, whoa, we can read, we can use the Bechira now, but let's choose the destination. The destination should not be a night shelter. Here's the thing, the, the, the design of our enemies, they're never going to stop. They are never going, no amount of money, no amount of land, no amount of concessions. It's programmed into them. They've been indoctrinated with a religious ideology, and they are going to force us to become the people we were created to be and to become the country we are destined to be. So we have to choose it, or it will choose us. And so I'm saying that the only answer, not just for peace now, but shalom lanetzach, is Am Israel. Not does it have to be religious. Or you religious. convince your people here, but you have to convince the Israeli society. So if you come with this forcing them your truth, uh, uh, the so Israeli society will be a problem. Let's you try have to be, to be respectful patient. Of the time. That's we're, what we're a little saying. past time for, for the panel. These arguments will continue in the hallway, I'm sure. We're gonna I, be I, just, like to speak <laughs> I just say, let's stop doing stupid things. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> just a, a very, very quick final word, if I may. Um, very, very briefly, you know, we heard here, you know, Ben Gurion, what was he, if not a, a messianic, a visionary? You know, I'll, I'll try to one-up that. I mean, I mean, what was Herzl himself, if not a visionary? He was the original Zionist visionary, was he not? In the 1890s, writing in Vienna after, after the Dreyfus Affairs. So anyway, I am all for, for messianic visionaries on a very personal. But anyway, thank you guys very much. It's been a wonderful panel. Thank you. All right, so that was uh, me and a lot of good folks at the Sovereign, Sovereignty Conference in Jerusalem. This is Ishai Fleischer, and I am with you right now uh, from a guard post in Judea. Uh, overlooking an intersection here uh, in the tower, uh, making sure that uh, Israel is defended and strong and, and helping us connect uh, to the story of Israel and to God's vision. Bezrat Hashem. Our intrepid reporter, Ben Bresky, is giving us inspiration, this time about the amazing story of Ethiopian Aliyah. Let's hear about the story of Ethiopian Aliyah and those great lifts, those airlifts 
bringing uh, our brothers and sisters on wings of eagles to the land of Israel. This is a moment in Jewish history. Operation Solomon was a massive airlift in which over 14,000 Jews from Ethiopia were taken to Israel. These flights were preceded by similar ones in the 1980s. The struggle for Jewish Ethiopians to make Aliyah involved great difficulty and sacrifice. One year, on Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day, my friend invited me to a ceremony on Mount Herzl. My friend told me that he remembers as a child walking from Ethiopia to neighboring Sudan. There, in a special section, a large crowd of people arrived to pay tribute to the approximately 4,000 people who died walking from Ethiopia, and then in Sudanese refugee camps. There was tight security, and I had to explain to the guard why I was there, that I had a friend who was born in Ethiopia, and that I was interested in history. After I got in, I realized that both the president and prime minister came to attend and speak at the ceremony. Later, I was introduced to an Ethiopian Jewish religious leader. Dressed in a white robe and turban, he took my hand and gave me a blessing. One of those who pushed for Ethiopian Aliyah was Baruch Tegena, who was born in Ethiopia and studied in Israel. When the plight of the Ethiopian Jews became serious, he became an activist and met with numerous high-ranking people in Israel, America, Canada, and Ethiopia to push for immigration. Among the many places he spoke was the General Assembly of the United Jewish Communities. The following is from his book, Baruch's Odyssey, An Ethiopian Jew's Struggle to Save His People. I became very emotional when I told the assembly that I had been witness to the plight of my people in the refugee camps. They had been living in misery in Ethiopia and then risked their lives to escape to Sudan by way of treacherous routes, and now were living in squalor, praying and waiting for deliverance. For 2,500 years, we had dreamed of going to Jerusalem. Another Jewish Ethiopian leader involved was Ferede Akloum, who traveled to Sudan to meet with the refugees and work clandestinely with Sudanese officials. At the time, Sudan did not have any diplomatic relations with Israel, and any contact was dangerous. Finally, the Israeli government, with the help of Jewish community leaders worldwide, the American government, and the Sudanese, arranged for more than 30 planes to land in Sudan, pick up the Jewish community members, and fly them to Israel. This was called Operation Moses. Over seven weeks in 1984, more than 200 Jewish Ethiopians arrived in Israel. The loss of so many on the way is remembered every year. Baruch Tegene's mentor was Yona Bogala, who arranged for him and other Ethiopian Jewish youth to study in Israel back in the 1970s. Bogala was taught himself by Dr. Jacques Fetelovich, a Polish-born Jewish anthropologist who first visited Ethiopia in 1904. He lived with the Jewish Ethiopian community and opened a school there in the 1920s. Contact with the remote and mostly unknown Jewish community of Ethiopia goes back even farther. Benjamin of Tudela, the famous Jewish traveler of the Middle Ages, wrote of the Ethiopian Jewish community in his travel journals which date to 1165. Ovadia of Bartonura, the Italian rabbi, wrote in his travel journals in the 1480s that he met Ethiopian Jews during his visits 
to Jewish communities in the Middle East. In 1862, the Ethiopian Jewish leader Abba Mahari, together with thousands, attempted to travel from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. However, their journey failed, and many died on the way. Two years later, the German-Jewish rabbi Azriel Hildesheimer began publicly advocating for the Ethiopian Jewish community. But let us move forward to 1984. Operation Moses was a success. However, when the secret mission became public, the Sudanese government abruptly ended it. A year later, Israel launched Operation Joshua. Six large planes landed in Sudan and picked up over 500 Ethiopian Jews from the refugee camps, transported them to Europe, and then to Israel. But there were still more back in Ethiopia. By 1991, famine had once again hit the land, and Ethiopia was rocked by war, and its leader was in the process of fleeing the country while rebel forces surrounded the capital. Israel embarked on Operation Solomon. 35 aircraft landed in Ethiopia and transported over 14,000 people to Israel. One plane held over 1,000 people, the largest amount ever recorded. Several pregnant women gave birth on the planes. A special team of Ethiopian Israel Defense Force soldiers were sent along to serve as interpreters and help assist. The following is from the New York Times, dated May 26, 1991. Israel fell into joyous celebration tonight as the government announced the successful conclusion of an emergency airlift of 14,500 Ethiopian Jews, nearly the entire Jewish population, in just under 36 hours. At the airport this morning, it was difficult to tell who was more joyous, the barefoot Ethiopians who cheered and bent down to kiss the ground after they stepped off the planes, or the Israelis who watched them aglow, marveling at the powerful image showing that their state still holds appeal even with all its problems. Prime Minister Yitzhak Shamir declared, It gives us a feeling of strength. Israelis were no less wondrous at the operational accomplishment of ferrying so many people more than 1,500 miles over such a short time. At one point, 28 aircraft were in the air at the same time, all of the flights crammed with passengers. We made history, said Aryeh Oz, who piloted one of the LL 747 cargo planes that carried more than twice as many passengers as it was designed to. This is the first time that any 747 or any air-flying vehicle has carried over 1,000 people. I don't think it will ever happen again. It was a nice flight, said one of the smiling new immigrants, 29-year-old Mukat Abag. We didn't bring any of our clothes, we didn't bring anything, but we are glad to be here. This has been a moment in Jewish history. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to all the listeners, and Shalom. All right, Ben Bresky, thank you very, very much. God bless you for giving us that inspiration. And we definitely need inspiration because there are some things that happen that really drive me crazy, that take me down, and we need to hear thoughts and feelings of inspiration. I was uh, very uninspired when I saw that some of the hostage families went to uh, Qatar in order to speak with representatives of Qatar to help secure their loved ones. Uh, no uh, criticism of, the, of you know, the families themselves. They're just doing what they can to rescue their, their beloved ones. I understand that fully, and I don't make light of that, but... To have a situation where we approach our enemies 
the very people who funded Hamas, you know, it's uh, it's like uh, it's like going to Joseph Goebbels to secure a release of uh, somebody from the concentration camps. It's just uh, you know, you know, there's stories like that as well, by the way. So may- maybe that's not such a good metaphor. But the bottom line is, it's a sad state of affairs when we have to go to our enemies to beg for our children's lives. Uh, let us hope that we can get stronger. Bezrat Hashem, we shall be stronger. Uh, we'll stop doing stupid things, start doing smart things, uh, and, and, and follow uh, uh, God's uh, dictums. Ironically, I think Hashem's great Torah is also oftentimes just common sense. Certainly when it comes to the rules of engagement of the Middle East. It's really not so... Oh, my glove got wet. Darn it. The rain got my glove. That's a bummer. Um, bottom. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm in the guard post and it is raining on us. Bottom line, friends, is that uh, common sense uh, is very much part and parcel of what Torah is. As we say, Derech Eretz Kadmala Torah. Like, you can't be foolhardy and follow Torah. You gotta be, you gotta have a straight, common sense approach to things. And that, of course, will also lead you to understand the super common sense approach of, of God. Um, uh, when it's not common sense, it's called a chok. You know, it's God has given you like a dictum, like, you may not get this, but here's a piece of information. You know, it's super rational, but you may not understand the rationality. Uh, but there are other things like don't give your land away to your enemies, which the Torah has to stress all the time, which is pretty much the simple rules of engagement of the Middle East. Okay, friends and lovers of Israel, I want to wish you all the blessings. I want to thank you, Chavit Seidman, Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, and Lewin were live for rocking and helping me make uh, the show and getting it out to the world. Thank you, my beloved team. God bless you. I want to thank all of our sponsors. Uh, including the Hebron Fund. Jewish community of Hebron is strong when it keeps the mamas and the papas safe, and the Hebron Fund is the vehicle for that. Learn about the trips to Hebron and all that we do, hebronfund.org. My mom right now is on the Temple Mount with women of the Temple Mount, and they go every Rosh Chodesh, and it's so important to go up on the Temple Mount. Check out highonthehar.com to learn more about how you could go and visit this most sacred spot in the world, the most hallowed and sacred spot in the whole world. So that's highontheheart.com. Uh, our good friends at Prohibition Pickle. I got a donation from uh, Prohibition Pickle. Somebody gave to Prohibition Pickle for this Shabbos, so I'm excited for that. That's right. Mark uh, gave uh, uh, a donation through Prohibition Pickle for Kiddush for this Shabbos for the Fleischer family. And I really appreciate you very much, Mark. Thank you very much. And thank you, prohibitionpickle.co.il. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai and all the good friends that uh, contribute through buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. You know, I got a lot of stuff going on here. I got rain. Rain's raining on my gun here. I've got to move it in the show and the intersection. But okay, but I can't leave my beloved friends. That's why we record even in these tough times. So that's buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. Thank you all those folks. Uh, thank you to retrowatchguy.com for making awesome watches from the past come to life today. It's like Israel itself. It's like something very ancient uh, and, and making working today. And, and that's uh, retrowatchguy.com. Thank you, Mark, who says that he is from the International Torah Community Baptist Department in Arkansas. That's awesome, Mark. Thank you so much. God bless you. And God bless Arkansas. God bless the good people there. And thank you so much for being uh, part of the lovers of the nation of Israel. It's, uh, it's uh, not something we take for granted. And I'm sending you my blessings directly right now from here, from this guard post to Arkansas. Uh, Kosher Cycle Tours, giving you great tours in the land of Israel. And we uh, are excited for kosher cycling, uh, hopefully soon this summer, uh, after, after uh, peace, uh, after victory, then peace will, will break out. Vizrat Hashem. And we're hopeful. Uh, so that's koshercycletours.com. 
who else do I, do I want to mention? Of course, JNS.org and JewishPress.com. So important to have that healthy diet of, uh, uh, of news for you in your life. In any case, folks, lots of uh, people make this show uh, happen. Uh, check out our Instagram and our YouTube pages. We're really working hard over there to make it, to make it exciting and pop. And check out all that we're doing there. People are telling me a lot that, that, that it's making a difference in their life. Check out YishaiFleischer.com for uh, all of our videos and, and, and YouTube and what do you call it, and articles and, and radio. And more than anything, folks, I want to check, want you to, to uh, check out your Torah. Read Parshat Vaera, the, the Torah portion of Vaera, the second uh, uh, Torah reading in uh, the book of Exodus, the book of Shemot. It'll give you so much hope and so much strength because that's what we're about. We're about Exodus from slavery and entering into a, a rebirth, renewal of the land of Israel, liberation, and closeness to God. Hashem, please help us be close to you. What was the verse I saw in Psalms? I, I saw three words that I really liked. Lamdeni la'asot retzonecha. Teach me to do your will. Hashem, teach me to do your will. So simple. That's, that's our greatest request. Hashem, please teach us to do your will. God bless you guys wherever you are. Stay tuned, stay connected, stay part of the story. May Hashem be with you wherever you are and may our connection to the land of Israel, to the rebirth of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, to rebirth of Torah in the land of Israel uh, be part of our lives every single day. God bless you wherever you are. Lots of love and shalom.